If you're a slave to your past, to your present, or your future, if you're a slave to anyone or anything, if you're a slave to any habit or addiction or sin, you have no one to blame but yourself. Come to Jesus, and he will set you free. If you're having an issue with anything in your life that's holding you in bondage, please call the church office and let us help you. There is power in the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, would you open them this morning, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're in a sermon series entitled, The Church Looking for Jesus. The title of our message this morning, A Life That Pleases God. I just want to please the Lord, to be in His will in every way, to be lost in His presence, to be found in His likeness, that I might hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful Son, one day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's read together the first three verses. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians at Thessalonica, to the church at Thessalonica, he says, furthermore, this is a continuation of what he's already said, we beseech you, brethren, we encourage you, brethren, we urge you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is not an option of God. This is not a consideration of God. This is the will of God, even unto your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. I heard the story about a wealthy man who wanted to do something kind for his pastor and his church. So he sent his pastor away on a three-month, fully paid-for vacation with his wife to Hawaii. That's pretty good. And while the pastor was away, he did something for his church. He did a complete remodeling of the sanctuary. He put down new carpet. He put new paint on the walls. He put new light fixtures up, a new sound system in, reshaped and refurbished the platform. It was a thing of beauty. When the pastor got back from Hawaii, he came and he saw the sanctuary and he was overwhelmed. Goodness gracious, this looks so good. But there was one thing that struck him as rather odd. And all of the remodeling, and all of the refurbishing, and all of the brightness and freshness and contemporariness of it all, there was only one pew. And that was in the back where most people sit. Just one pew. The rest was wide open space. 
And the pastor said, I don't understand this. And the man said, well, you will just come Sunday. Well, the pastor got here early on that Sunday. He wanted to see. Well, the first ten people arrived for the worship service. They sat on the pew in the back. And one of the ushers, when he got the signal, he pushed the green button. And that pew in the back rail all the way up to the front. <laughs> the back became the front. And then another pew popped up. Another ten people were seated. Green button was pushed. That became the second pew from the front. Then the third, from the fourth, to the fifth, to the sixth. And pretty soon, within 30 minutes, the entire sanctuary was filled with pews with people. Well, the pastor got so excited about all of this. He, he just, he, he was exuberated. He said, marvelous, wonderful, bravo, I love it. And he just started preaching. I mean, he got carried away. Kind of like Scott Eady's going to get tonight. He got scared, carried away. And he started preaching, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached, and it got to be 12 o'clock, and he's still on point one. He's just preaching. It got to be 12.15, he's still on point one. It got to be 12.30, he's getting to point two. It's 12.45, and he's not looking to end this thing anytime soon. And so the usher in the back is given the signal. And he pushes the red button. And the trap door opens up. <laughs> Pastor falls through, disappears. Trap door closes. And the usher stands up and says, service is over. And the people got excited. And they said, marvelous, wonderful, bravo. We love it. <laughs> well, I don't know what gets you excited. But I'm excited about sharing with you some things the Apostle Paul was excited about sharing to the church at Thessalonica. Now, Paul was a long-winded preacher. I want you to know that. He's one of many in the tradition of preachers that's long-winded. And as he is preaching what we're reading, because this was not only a letter, but Paul preached this as a sermon to the church at Thessalonica. And he's already been preaching for three chapters. You think I'm long. He's already preached three chapters. And now he's getting ready to go into the fourth chapter, and he's still preaching. Now, I want you to notice the word furthermore. You see that word? Or finally, if it's in, translated that way in your Bible. Chapter 4, verse 1, furthermore, finally. You know what that word means? That's preacher talk that you're getting another 45 minutes. <laughs> and so he's not through yet. What does he want to emphasize as he closes out this last 45 minutes of his message? Well, he wants to talk to the church and to the Christians of that day about three things that are very important. If you want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. How many of you think Jesus is coming soon? Raise your hand. Just about all of you. If you believe that, then he says there are three things you need to get ready and by doing. The first thing he talks about is holiness. 
holiness. Read with me verses 3 through 8. Follow in your Bibles. He says, for this is the will of God. Everybody wants to know what the will of God is. He says, this is the will of God. That even your sanctification. Say, Pastor, that's not a Baptist word. No, it's a Bible word. Even your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his body in sanctification and honor. Not in the personal desires not in the personal sexual desires that the Gentiles have, which, were not, which are no not God. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. God has not called you unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who has given unto us his Holy Spirit. Paul begins by talking about holiness. Holiness was a problem in his day, and it's a problem in our day. But understand, the character of God more than anything else is holiness. Isaiah the prophet, upon looking at God, one of the few men that ever saw God with his eyes. And the first thing and only thing he could really say upon seeing the holy triune God was holy is God the Father, holy is God the Son, holy is God the Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. Because God is holy. And God expects those of us who claim his name to practice Holiness. You see, we get concerned about what we have. We get concerned about what we do. We get concerned about where we go. We get concerned about who we do it with. We get concerned about how much. God doesn't care about any of that. God is concerned about who we are. Not what we do. Not what we have. Not who, where we go. Not who we know. Not how much or how little we do something. God is concerned about the inside. Who we are. And when God looks at the inside of us, he wants to see a people that are holy. And that holiness specifically is sexual holiness. Sexual purity. He uses the word sanctification, if you notice in verse 3. Most of us in Baptist circles think that is a church of God word, or a church of Christ word, or a Pentecostal word. Folks, as I said earlier, it's a Bible word. What does it mean? Well, let me explain it to you. You've heard this before. Salvation is in three phases. There's only one salvation, but it's in three phases. Phase number one is called justification. You are justified the moment you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. What is justification? It's the forgiveness of all your sins. It's the presence of God into your life. And it's a home in heaven one day. That's on one bookend. 
The other phase or another phase of your salvation that's at the other bookend is called glorification. That's when you die and go to heaven. That's when you will be perfected. That's when you will be complete. You'll be mature. You will be just like Jesus. Whatever Jesus is, you will be when you're glorified. But in between your justification, the first phase of salvation, and the last phase of salvation, glorification, there is a number of years that's called sanctification. And sanctification is where the Spirit of God that lives in us is transforming us in our mind, in our mouth, and in our mannerisms to be just like Jesus. That's why you've heard me say before, if the Lord Jesus hasn't changed your life, you need to change your Savior because you don't have Him. When He saves somebody, He changes somebody. It's not immediate, but it is progressive. And He works through us to make us like Jesus. And Paul is talking here. He says, as you grow in the Lord, as you're being changed, transformed by the Spirit of God to be like Jesus, there is one particular sin that needs to come out of your life. And it's called fornication. He says, concerning sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, fornication is a general word for any and all sexual immorality. It's, it's, a, it's an umbrella word that includes any sexual immorality. It includes pornography. It includes premarital sex. It includes extramarital sex. It includes homosexuality. It includes abnormal sex. It includes adultery. It includes vulgarity. It includes perversion of any sort. It umbrellas every one of them. And he says, without any stutter, without any stammer, without any equivocation, he says, abstain from fornication. Abstain from it. You see, sexual immorality was a problem in Paul's day. The church at Thessalonica was facing tremendous temptations from sexual immorality in the society in which it was. The Christians and Thessalonica were facing tremendous temptations of sexual immorality. And they were being drawn to it. And Paul says to them, abstain from it, run from it, back up from it, flee from it. Don't let it contaminate you. And may I say, we're facing the same thing. The world hasn't changed. In fact, it's probably gotten worse. For this church and you and I as Christians face the same temptations for sexual immorality as they did. The same devil who opened up the sewage pipes of hell and was pumping sexual trash into the world of that day is doing it in our day as well. And Paul's commandment is abstain from it. Stop it, walk away from it, back up from it, run from it. Do not allow it to contaminate you. 
Now the question they had, and maybe you have, is how do you do that? Because it's much easier said than done. He says, well, you've got to remember three things to help you. You've got to remember three things. Now, I don't know about you, but as I get older, in order to remember, I have to do what? And then I have to hope and pray I don't lose the note that I wrote down what I'm supposed to remember. But the point is, when you've got something in front of you that you can remember, there's a more of a chance that you'll do it. And so Paul says to the Thessalonians, I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. And I want you to do it by remembering these three things. Write them down. Keep these things in your mind and in your heart. Keep them ever before you to help you. The first thing he says in verse 4 is remember that your body is the church of God. Your body is the church of God. Look at verse 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel or his body and sanctification and honor. When you got saved, the Lord Jesus Christ came into your body. He came in the person of the Holy Spirit. So this is not the church. This is just a church building. The church is you. The church is myself. The church is us collectively who are sons and daughters of God. Does that make sense to you? Many people think this church is where God is. God isn't in the church. He's in you and I because he has made us the church. How many of you would come to this church, this building, and throw your trash from your house on the floor? How many of you come to church with your Bible in one hand, your trash bag in the other? Put your Bible down on the pew and throw your milk cartons, your napkins, whatever's all over the floor. You say, Pastor, anybody who did that ought to be shot. You're right, they should. How many of you bring dirt into the church? How many came in with a bucket today? And threw dirt. You say, Pastor, nobody trashes the church. Nobody dirts the church that's got any sense. You're right. Where's the church? It's not this building, it's you. And when you commit sexual immorality, whatever name you want to put on it, or don't want to put on it, when you commit sexual immorality, you are trashing and you are dirtying the church of Jesus Christ, which is you, which the Spirit of God lives in. Do you understand that? Many years ago, there was a commercial on TV about the pollution in America, the air pollution, the water pollution, the, the soil pollution. And in the commercial, they had an American Indian there. You may have remembered that. And he's talking about how this was his father's land at one time and how we need to preserve it and not pollute it. 
And he closes the commercial with a big tear running down his face. I wonder if Jesus doesn't have a tear running down his face when he looks at you and I sometimes and sees the things that we do to trash and dirty the church, which is us. Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality, and you do it by, number one, remembering this is not the church, this is the church. And you don't trash it or dirty it with immorality. Secondly, he says, remember, in verse 5, who you are. Live up to who you are. You're a born-again child of God. Look at verse 5. Don't live in the lust of the sexual desires of the Gentiles which know not God. Live according to who you are. When you became a Christian, you did not become a peasant. You did not become a trash. You did not become a victim. You did not become a slave. You did not become a monkey's uncle spiritually. You didn't become some blob of jello from a sea of goo. You didn't become a nobody. You didn't become a play toy. Listen to me. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became a son of God. You became a daughter of God. You became a blue blood. You became royalty. And Paul says, live like who you are. Don't live beneath who you are. Live in the heavenlies where you're at. Those who do not know the Lord, they live in the lower depths. But we who know Christ, may we live in the upper depths. And then he says, remember something else. You say, Pastor, I'm thinking about sexual immorality. I'm telling you, don't trash and dirty the property of God if you're his Remember who you are. Live up to your name. You're a son and daughter of God. Don't you walk around and embarrass him. Live up to your name. And then thirdly, before you practice sexual immorality, you remember this, he says in verse 6, don't you defraud anybody else. That word defraud means don't take from somebody, something else that doesn't belong to you. He says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Now remember, the context is sexual immorality. When you engage in sexual immorality, he's saying don't steal somebody else's virginity. Don't trash somebody else's reputation. Don't dirty somebody else's temple. Don't take someone else's property, their spouse. This does not honor God. So before you do any of that, he says, remember these three things. You got that? Remember them. I'm not going to dirty the temple of God. I'm not going to trash it. I'm going to live in the heavenlies because I'm a son or daughter of God. And I'm not going to hurt you because you're my family. 
I'm not going to defraud you. I'm not going to take something from you for my own pleasure. I won't do it. And then he gives us some warnings. He not only says this is how you're to abstain from sexual immorality, he says this is why you should. Notice he says in verse 6, that if you engage in such, you are going to face the judgment of God. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. All such what? Sexual immorality. As we have forewarned you and testified. The Bible says, do not be deceived, do not be fooled, do not be lied to by the devil. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will what? Now, many of us believe that you can sow the seeds of sexual immorality and then pray to God for crop failure. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You're free to choose, but you're not free to change or choose the consequences that will come from what you do. And if you engage in sexual immorality, whoever you are, young or old, married or unmarried, if you engage in sexual immorality, there one day will be a judgment from God against you. Particularly if you claim to be his. Any parent that's worth their salt is not going to allow their children to engage in activity that will be harmful to them or harmful to somebody else. And God is our father. And he says to you and I, I will not allow you to engage in this sexual immorality that one day will harm you and harm somebody else. I will bring judgment to you to stop it, and I will stop it. And sometimes that judgment is an unwanted pregnancy. Sometimes that judgment is a venereal disease. Sometimes it's AIDS. Sometimes it's the trashing of your reputation and your testimony. Sometimes it's a hard life because now you're going to have to raise a baby at age 15. Sometimes it's the loss of your marriage. Sometimes it's a financial disaster. And if you're a young man who gets the girl pregnant, you're going to pay child support for the next 20 years of your life. Sometimes it's a bullet in the head because that spouse caught you messing with their loved one. There is a judgment, ladies and gentlemen, when you choose to ignore what God says. What's done in the dark will be brought to the light. What's done in secret will be made public. What you think you're getting away with, one day the roosters will come home to roost. He says, do not engage in sexual immorality. Remember, remember, and then stay away from it because of the judgment of God. Then he also says in verse 8, there will be the loss of God's power for those who engage in it. He says in verse 8, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God. In other words, when you sin, you're not just sinning against yourself and against somebody else, but you're sinning against God, who has given to us his Holy Spirit. My body is the church. 
I will not trash it or dirty it with immorality. I'm a son of God. I will not bring shame to my father's name with immorality. I'm my brother's keeper. I'm not going to do anything for my pleasure that would take something from you and hurt you. Will not do it. And if I do it, I'm aware of the fact that if I continue to do it, I'm going to face the judgment of God. I will face it. Nobody gets around it who continues in constant sin. And not only will I face the judgment of God, I will face the loss of the power of His Spirit in me. I didn't say His presence would go away. His power will go away. And when His power goes away, His peace goes away. His joy goes away. His hope goes away. His courage goes away. And your life will become miserable. There's nothing more miserable than a Christian who's involved in sin, particularly sexual sin. Because they've got too much Jesus to be happy in the sin and too much sin to be happy in Jesus. They're in no man's land. And they face the consequence of what they're doing naturally and they face the consequence of what they're doing supernaturally. Then he goes on in verses 9 and 10. He says, if you're looking for the coming of Jesus, if that's what you're doing and you believe it's going to happen soon, then make sure you're sexually pure to meet the king. And I want to say something to us older people as much as to the younger, because sometimes when we hear these kind of messages, we think, well, I hope that they're over there, they're listening. I hope that you're over here listening to them. Sexual temptation comes against all of us. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 80, put in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person in the wrong situation, it can happen. That's why you constantly have to be on guard. That's why you constantly have to be backing up and moving away from it. Now, he also says something else. He says, if Jesus is coming soon, not only should you be holy, particularly in regard to sexual immorality, but you need to be harmonious. And verses 9 and 10, he talks about our relationship with one another. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you should increase that love more and more. There's a great commission. And there's a great commandment. The great commission is about taking the gospel to every face of every race and every place of God's grace. And that's what we're doing through that offering right there that you give to. And thank you for your giving. And by your grace, we'll be able to once again exceed our goal and meet all of our partnerships. But there's also a great commandment. Jesus was asked to capsulize and summarize the entire Bible. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? Capsulize and summarize the entire Bible. 
And he said, that's easy, I can do it. And he could, because he's the author of the Bible. He said, it's to love the Lord thy God with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and then to love each other as you love yourself. That's it. The vertical, the horizontal. The vertical, love the Lord thy God with all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength. This relationship comes first. And then this relationship comes second. That's to love each other as you love yourself. In doing so, you form a what? A cross. And that's the essence of Christianity. It's the cross. And that's what Paul is really saying here. We're to love one another. We're to love one another. No, we're not all alike. Some of us have different backgrounds. Some of us come from different classes and different colors and different cultures and different, have a different countenance and have a different checkbook status. But we love one another. Jesus said, by this you, they shall know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. What the world needs now is love, said the song. I say what the church needs now is love. As the coming of Jesus draws ever near, we need one another. We need to love one another. And you know what love is? Love is setting aside my wants that I might meet your needs. It's putting you first. Even if you're wrong, I will put you first. Even if I'm right, I will put you first. Love. And you know, love, when it is done biblically in the church, is like a magnet that draws people from the outside. People don't care how much we know till they know how much we care. And when we love people, it's contagious, it's conspicuous, and it draws them. Love. Our world is looking for love, and they're looking for love in sexual immorality. And Paul says it's not there. The church should practice love within its confines. It should be in harmony with one another. I was talking to a pastor yesterday. We did a funeral together. I don't know the man. But in his office, he shared with me his church is in turmoil. He's had four leaders resign. There's battling back and forth. He doesn't even know if he's going to stay there, and he just came there. God help us love one another. I didn't say agree with one another. I didn't even say like one another. But I do think we can love one another. Be holy. Be harmonious. A holiness that's built around sexual purity. A harmonious spirit that's built around a love for one another. And then lastly, he says in verses 11 and 12, he says, be honest. Now, verse 11 and 12 is interesting. Look at your wording, if you will. 
that you study to be quiet and do your own business <laughs> and to work with your own hands as we command you, that in doing so you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Okay? Now we're talking about how to live if we believe Jesus is coming soon. First of all, abstain from sexual immorality. Be holy. Secondly, love one another. Be harmonious. Thirdly, be honest. Now that word honest, let me give you the Jim Palmer amplified version, if you will, of verses 11 and 12. What he's saying is this. Are you ready for this? Mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a tailbearer. Clean up your own backyard and pray for other people and keep your mouth shut. That's what he's saying. Aren't you glad I gave you my translation? That's what he's saying. Live a quiet life. Live a peaceful life. Live an honest life. Don't be worried about what somebody else is saying or doing. Don't be wasting your time talking about what somebody else is saying or doing. Look in the mirror and make sure you're talking right. Make sure you're doing right. Make sure your backyard is clean. Make sure the weeds are pulled up at your house. And if you see somebody else not doing something very well, don't tell them, don't tell somebody else, tell God. Mind your own business. And that's what he says to us. You know, Paul was a deep theologian, but most of what he taught was very practical. Abstain from sexual immorality. Love one another. And mind your own business. If you don't have something good to say about somebody, don't say it. And if you see somebody doing something that's wrong, rather than go jumping into something that's none of your business perhaps, why don't you just fall to your knees and pray that the Father will take care of it. And He will. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.